I'm going to try to finish up this morning, uh, or at least uh, get to a point where I can put a, a marker and come back to it later. Uh, uh, next couple of Sundays, Pastor Reagan will be preaching, and um, I, I want to I wrap this up um, so I can uh, give way to him for a couple weeks here at least, and maybe longer. But uh, I've been talking about prayer since September was a month that we emphasize prayer. And as you know, the one thing the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to do was to pray. And he taught a number of lessons on prayer. He taught them how to approach God as Father in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. He also taught about intercessory prayer. And that's when a friend um, beseeches a friend in behalf of a friend. And he told the story of a man who went to his friend at midnight and he said, a friend of mine has come in his journey and I don't have anything to set before him. I need some food. Would you give me three loaves that uh, I can take care of my guest? He actually taught us that since God is our Father and loves us, that he also desires for us to grow and mature in him to the point where that we can actually have a relationship with God uh, as a friend. Now, don't misunderstand that. In fact, that, that Christian religion is the only religion that um, sees God as a friend. Way back in Genesis, God called Abraham his friend. God wants to have that kind of relationship with you and me to where we feel comfortable to come to him and uh, even beseech him in behalf of others. A friend of mine's come, and uh, a friend of mine has need, and I'm beseeching you as one friend to take care of another friend. And then I started two weeks ago talking to you about God's justice system. This is the third thing that, God, uh, that Jesus taught us about prayer. And that is that uh, he, used to, he started off with a parable of a woman who went before an unjust judge and um, said, I've been mistreated. I'm beseeching you for a verdict in my favor. And uh, Jesus taught us from there uh, something about the courtroom of heaven and how to present our request to him in a way where we can get a good verdict. I believe that this, and the reason I've taken three Sundays on this is because I believe that this is the one area of prayer that is the least understood. And probably Satan himself has, has helped to keep this hidden from us because uh, he is the one who tries to hinder our prayers. He doesn't want you to get your prayers through. He's doing everything he can to block that and to stop that. But the Word of God teaches us how to approach God in such a way that God can remain holy and righteous and also answer our prayers. You remember that God is the judge of all the earth. And the Bible said way back in Genesis, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God is going to always do what's right. And God will not violate justice to answer a prayer. You have to understand that about God. He would be an unjust God if he did. And so we have to learn how to go before him. And I, I talked in specific details about that last Sunday. And uh, in fact, what I'm going to do is just try to finish last Sunday's message. Is that okay? Um, I actually only got to the two main points of my message last week. I talked to you, first of all, my first point was uh, there is an uh, uh, opposition. And I talked to you about the opposition to our prayers. The devil as the accuser goes before God, tries to hinder our prayers. He did that with Job, if you'll remember. He went before God and falsely accused Job. He said, God, the only reason Job had just requested, made a request in prayer for his kids, and Job came, uh, Satan came up against him and said, uh, God, Job only serves you because you got a hedge around him. If you take that hedge down, he'd curse you to your face. Well, the devil's a liar, and God knew that. But God allowed Job to go through a test because God knew his heart. And he came forth. And this justified God in not only blessing him. God has already blessed him and made him the greatest man in that part of the whole world. But now in the end, God is justified to double his blessings. So let me say something to you this morning. 
If God allows Satan to bring it to you, he will see you through it. And when he gets you through it, he will have a just reason to bless you abundantly. So don't give up. If you're going through a trial, going through a little test, you, you'll come out victorious on the other side. That's what Job said. He said, though God slay me, I'm still going to trust him. He said, I'm sold out. I'm in this thing. But he said, when I'm tried, I'm going to come forth as pure gold. And he did, praise God. And, uh, and you can do that too. So let me get to my text this morning because I dealt with the oppressor. oppressor. I dealt with the, um, the defense that we have. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and did not love their lives until death. In other words, they were sold out and committed to the Lord. That's the way they overcame Satan when he accused them falsely before God. This morning, I want to deal with the advocate. I want to tell you that we have some help in the courtroom of heaven. We have some help in the courtroom of heaven. Make sure you get it. Turn to your neighbor and say, we've got help in heaven. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. Let me read you my text. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit, notice this capitalized. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself, that's, uh, that's personal pronoun there, himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This morning I want to talk to you about our advocate. We have an advocate with God. Praise the Lord. We have help before the throne of God. Okay? Let's, let's, let's jump right into this. Uh, I'm going to read a lot of Scripture to you today. Please don't, please don't zone out on me because I'm reading so much Scripture. I'll, I need to do that to lay the groundwork for the points that I'm trying to make here. So stay with me as I give you a lot of Scripture today. But I want you to know that we have help in the throne room of God to get our prayers through and to get a verdict in our favor. In fact, you don't want to go before court by yourself. Um, you, you, just, you just don't. I heard somebody say years ago, <laughs> if you go be your own lawyer, you have a fool for a lawyer. Um, now, I'm not saying that. I'm not calling you. I said I heard somebody say that one time. I also heard F. Lee Bailey say one time that he'd rather have enough money and the right lawyer if he was accused of a crime, even if he was guilty, than he would to not have a good lawyer and not have enough money to pay that lawyer and get accused of something even if he was innocent. You see what he's saying? It's very important that you have the right help when you're in a court situation. Um, so we want to look at that today. The first thing I want you to know is that, that you should feel comfortable in the courtroom of heaven. Now that's different than it is on this earth. I've been in court many, many, many times through the years. I've, I've gone to court to, to advocate for a lot of people through the years, and uh, I have never learned to be comfortable in court. Um, just haven't. Um, I'm always afraid I'll do something wrong. In fact, when cell phones first came out, when I first got one, I was in court testifying in behalf of somebody, and I saw the thing that said, turn your cell phone off, and I thought I had mine turned off. And I was actually testifying before the judge, and somebody called me. I near about tore my britches getting a hold of my, getting a hold of my cell phone. And that judge was not happy. He chewed me out big time. Because some judges have a God complex in their courtroom. And, uh, and this one did. And I mean, he let me have it. And uh, so I've, 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 I've always been uncomfortable in a courtroom. But listen, in the courtroom of heaven, 
<clears throat> listen up. Number one, the judge is our heavenly Father. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. The judge is our Father. God the Father is the one who's sitting on the throne. He's our judge. <clears throat> Secondly, the courtroom of heaven is situated a little bit different. Our, our knowledge is from our court system here. And our, courts, our court system here is better than it is anywhere else in the world as far as I'm concerned. But it's not the best there is in the universe. God's courtroom is the best. And, and it's situated a little bit different because not only do, is God our Heavenly Father the judge, but Jesus, our elder brother, is standing right beside him in the courtroom of heaven right next to the judge giving information on our behalf, pleading on our behalf, witnessing on our behalf. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit is by our side where we stand, helping us to present our case. Oh, my goodness. You, we, we ought to feel comfortable in the courtroom of heaven. In fact, that almost, it, it ought, to, uh, ought to be almost like coming home. Say, Father, I'm glad. I'm, I know this is a courtroom, but I feel like I'm in your house today. And, uh, I, and, and with all of that help, there is no reason why we can't be victorious in our prayer life. But hear me. To do this, you need the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. And let that sink in a minute. If you're going to be successful in the courtroom of heaven with your prayers, you need the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life because that's the way we operate in the courtroom of heaven is through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I said I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. Here goes. Just before Jesus went back to heaven, after he was, had finished his earthly ministry, about three and a half years, he'd been with his disciples, teaching them and preaching to them, and of course preaching to massive crowds as well. But he really spent his time with his 12 disciples, teaching them because they were going to carry on the ministry after he left. Just before he completed his ministry, it, there's about three chapters of, of real intimate uh, fellowship and teaching that he did with his disciples to prepare them for his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension back to glory. It starts in John chapter 14. You're familiar with that. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, and so forth. But I want to drop down to verses 15 through 17. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. The old uh, King James calls it a comforter. The comforter, was a, it's a, a name that's given to the Holy Spirit, the comforter. The later versions translate that as helper because the word comforter literally comes from the Greek word parakletos, which does mean exactly that, a helper. However, it is a legal term. So understand, we're operating in the courtroom of heaven now. It is a legal assistant. It is a counsel for the defense. So when you go into the courtroom of heaven, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you're not going in alone. Your counselor is going with you. Your lawyer is going to be right by your side. And he's going to help you to present your case. And when he helps you present your case, you can't lose. Amen? Because the counselor knows the mind of the judge. And he's going to get you a good answer if you'll depend upon him. Drop down to 14, 25, and 26 of John. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, and he identifies him, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, all things that I said to you. Then in John 15, verse 26, look at this. 
But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. In other words, he's going to glorify Jesus. And there's nothing you can do that brings greater uh, response in the courtroom of heaven than to glorify Jesus. Because that's the name that's above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen? So if you're glorifying Jesus in the courtroom of heaven, your enemy has to bow. Praise God. Because the name of Jesus has preeminence over, and the Holy Spirit will help you do that. Look what else Jesus said in John 16 as he's finishing this up. Jesus said, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. As Jesus is wrapping this up, he looks around his disciples and he sees they're beginning to grieve because he's told them, I'm, I'm fixing to leave you. And they, they start grieving. They're literally grieving the loss of Jesus because he shared with them about his death. And, and they're grieving. You're going away. And, and Jesus said, why are you grieving? Why, none of you have asked me where I'm going. And he said, it's, it's necessary. You shouldn't be grieving that I'm leaving. You should be rejoicing that I'm leaving. Because the old 1611 King James Version uses the word expedient. He's, in other words, he said, it's, it's not only to your advantage that I go away, but it's important that we get on with this and get it done quickly because the sooner I can get back to the Father, the sooner he will send the Holy Spirit to you. What Jesus is saying here is that in the flesh, in the body, the incarnate Son of God as a man on this earth can only be in one place at one time. He cannot be with everybody at the same time. But he said, when I get back to heaven, I'm going to pray the Father and he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And just like I'm with you right now in the flesh, listen to this this morning, church, just like Jesus was with those 12 disciples, just as close as he was with them, the Holy Spirit is just that available and just that near, that close to you and me right where we are right now, right here on this Sunday morning. The Holy Spirit is here. Glory to God. Let's go on in John 16, verses 12 to 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he, he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Jesus said, you're going to have the fullness of the Godhead, and it's going to be poured right into your life through the presence of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Let me read more. Jesus finishes up with the book of John. He moves into the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. And being assembled together. Now this is after his death, after his burial, and after his resurrection, and just before he ascends to heaven. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times nor the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Look at this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Get the picture now. Jesus has already resurrected from the dead. He spent 40 days with them. And now he's about to send up to heaven. And he tells them, he said, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. 
and I want you to tarry until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll recognize it when it comes. You will be endued with new power to serve me. In other words, when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes with a punch. Praise God. He's got some power. He can do something. And, and, he, and, and I, want you to, I want you to have that experience with the Holy Spirit. But he also, notice here, he brings up baptism, and he refers back to John the Baptist. And he said, for, you know, it was prophesied that, that there would be that baptism. That John baptized with water, Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to digress for a few scriptures here for, for a reason. So follow me through this. Jesus, just before his ascension, refers back to the beginning of his ministry. And he refers to John the Baptist, who was the forerunner. He came paving the way for Jesus to come. He was prophesied way back in the Old Testament by the prophets that a forerunner would come and prepare the way of the Lord. That's what John the Baptist did. And, and so let's go back and look at what he started out doing. Because Jesus ended his ministry on earth preaching exactly the same message that he began his ministry with. Makes sense, doesn't it? Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's look at the beginning of his ministry. Here's what John says as he's preparing the way for Jesus. Matthew 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. <laughs> I like that, don't you? He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Say fire fire. Glory to God. That, when that anointing comes on you, there's, there, there, there's something in it. Amen. Praise God. Look what Mark said. Now, I'm going to read this from all four Gospels, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But please understand why Matthew says it one way, Mark says it another way, Luke says it another way, John says it another way. Here's why. John the Baptist is preaching every day, and he's preaching the same message every day. So Matthew gets one message that he's preaching. Mark gets another. Luke gets another. John gets another. And so you put it all together, and you have the fullness of the message of John the Baptist. Here's the way Mark saw it. Mark said, now John was clothed with camel hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit? Say Jesus. Jesus. Let's read from Luke chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, it's talking about John the Baptist, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's that fire again. Who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire? Say Jesus. Jesus. Let's look at John 1, 32 to 34. John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained upon him. And I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. Glory to God. Now here's what John says. I, I, I saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus. I baptized him with water. I saw the heavens open. I heard the voice of the Father. I saw the Spirit descend on him and remain on him. And I'm here to testify to you that he is the Son of God. And he's the one who is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, let's understand clearly what this thing of baptism is. I have told you before, and I want to repeat, but I, I want you to get it in the context of this message of bringing our case before God. To have a baptism, there are three things that you must have. You must have a candidate, you must have an element, and you must have an agent. Those three things. You can't have a baptism without those three things. Let's look at them because when you start searching baptism in the Scripture, you're going to discover that there are several baptisms mentioned. There are at least five. I'm going to deal with three this morning. There are at least five, as I said, different baptisms, kinds of baptisms that are mentioned in the Scripture. But in every case, three things are always required. There has to be a candidate, there has to be an element, and there has to be an agent. Let's look at it in water baptism. In water baptism, if you're to be baptized, well, how many of you have been baptized in water? You've been water baptized. Okay, here, you'll understand. You are the candidate. Water is the element. And the minister who baptizes is the agent. He's the one that does. If you don't have one of those three, you can't have a baptism. We can fill the, the baptismal with water, and I can be standing there ready to baptize, but if there's no candidate, we're not going to have a baptism. You understand what I'm saying? Or if you come as a candidate and I'm standing there as an agent, but we don't have any water in the tank, you're not going to be baptized. Or if you have you as a candidate and you have the element of water, but there's nobody to baptize, then you're not going to be baptized. You've got to have those three. Now, Let's look at a second baptism. This is so important. The new birth is synonymous with baptism into the body of Christ. That's what happens to us when we get saved, when we're born again, when, we're, when that new birth takes place. Here's what happens. When you come to Jesus, you come as the candidate. And the element is the body of Christ. But guess who's the agent? The Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that takes you and me and baptizes us into the body of Christ. Now, the reason I want to point this out is because there are lots of people who believe that they receive the Holy Spirit at the new birth. And I never argue with people about that. And let me tell you why. Because when you came to Jesus, you had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, believe me. In fact, you would not be saved if you had not had an encounter with the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us to the Lord. In fact, if the Holy Spirit is not present, there is no baptism into the body of Christ. If the Holy Spirit is not present, there is no new birth. If the Holy Spirit is not present, there is no being born again or being saved. So you've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and I never minimize that. I, I, I magnify that, in fact. Thank God. I'm, how many of you are thankful that the Holy Spirit drew you to Jesus and baptized you into the body of Christ? Yes. What a powerful, explosive experience that was with the Holy Spirit. But that is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I read to you from all four Gospels. Hear me this morning, church. Hear me this morning. God doesn't have to say anything but one time for it to be true. We understand that? When God repeats something, then you need to perk up your ears and listen carefully. When Jesus say, says things like, verily, verily, I say unto you, well, you better pay attention. He said, he's saying, this is important. Listen to this. Well, God not only said it, and God not only repeated it, but four times, folks, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, God said in his word that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Ghost, or with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Four times. Now, I, I don't, don't you know that the Lord in, <laughs> intended for us to, to get it? 
Amen. I mean, God said it four times. Do you get it? I mean, have you got it? Let's look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm saying that the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation is different than what you receive in Holy Spirit baptism. Look at it. In Holy Spirit baptism, you and I are the candidate. But the element is the Holy Spirit. And guess who's going to do the baptizing? Jesus. Jesus said, I want to do some baptizing. And I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So when Holy Spirit baptism, Jesus takes you and me and baptizes us, submerges us, fills us, indwells us inside and out with the Holy Spirit. And we come, oh, glory to God. We come forth with that, with that baptism with fire and with anointing and with power. Jesus said you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Glory to God. How many of you have that power this morning? Praise God. Glory to God. There is no reason why we don't have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Praise God. We ought to be giving the devil a black eye every day. He, he ought to be under our feet. People tell me the devil's on my back. What in the world is he doing on your back? Good time of living. Get him under your feet. Amen. We're to tread on serpents and scorpions and all the powers of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt us. Hallelujah. Luke 10, 19. I want to tell you this morning, I want to tell you, punch your neighbor and say, wake up. You, you, you got to get this. You got to get this. If you miss everything, you get it. You ready? I got everybody's attention. It's God's will for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is God's will. It's God's will. Now, if we understand that and we're willing to receive that, we need that prayer language. Take you to Acts 19, 1 and 2. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, of, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And when, John, when, when Paul had laid his hands on them, I'm, I'm going to jump down to verse 6 now. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, they, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, or spake with tongues, and prophesied. Now, here's what happened. The Apostle Paul is on one of his journeys, and he gets to the city of Ephesus, and he finds all these disciples, wonderful people, men of God. And, and he converses with them, and he asks them this question, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Now, some of the more modern, and the reason I read that from the old King James Version is because the translation is better. Many of your modern translations have changed the word since to the word when. And the reason they did that is because there's a lot of theologians that are not spirit-filled, and they don't believe that there is a work of the Holy Spirit, of baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's subsequent to. They believe it all happens at salvation. So they've changed that translation and said that Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believe? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? I don't like that translation because the literal translation of this is exactly this. Paul said, his question is, did you receive the Holy Spirit after you believed? In other words, Paul is, a, is acknowledging that they are believers. You got that? He's acknowledging that they are believers. And by the way, just changing the translation to when, it, it waters it down some, but it really doesn't altogether change it, does it? Because he's still acknowledging that they're believers. If, even if he said, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? They, he acknowledges that they believed. But they answer him and said, we don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And then he lays his hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. So it's still, 
<laughs> Even their effort to water it down didn't do much good, did it? What Paul is saying, I recognize that you're believers, but I want to tell you about the Holy Spirit. You need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so he laid his hands on them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. By the way, you can go through the book of Acts, and there are numerous outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And the one thing that is consistent all the way through from Acts 2, excuse me, all the way through all of the outpourings of the Holy Spirit is that they spoke with other tongues. You need that prayer language. Let me take you back now, and I'll show you why. To my text in Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Let me stop right here long enough to ask you. Have, have any of you ever been praying and, and you just come to a realization, I don't really even know how to pray about this situation? Have you ever gotten there? I mean, you're dealing, you're praying, you're, you're pouring your heart out to God, but you realize, I don't, even, I don't even know what to say here. I don't know, I don't even know how to address God with this situation. That's when you need the Holy Spirit. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself, the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And that word uttered there literally means languaged. In other words, Paul is saying here that there are some things that we come up against in our prayer life that we, you can't put in language, any language of earth that we understand. English won't get it. Spanish won't get it. French won't get it. German won't get it. Um, <laughs> there's just no language on earth. It can't be language, but there is a language. Glory to God. The Holy Spirit has a language that he can pray through you. And the wonderful thing about this language is that the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, he don't understand it. He can't interpret it. He don't have a clue what you're saying, but God understands it. Glory to God. You need that prayer language. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. When the Holy Spirit's allowed to pray through you, he prays you right into the will of God. And that message reaches right to the heart of God. It's a language that God has set aside for his children who have been filled with his Spirit to commune with him that nobody else can. <laughs> Glory to God. Not even Satan himself can figure it out. Praise the Lord. Now I know, and I want to address at least one of the oppositions to this. There's a lot of people who, who, who don't really believe in speaking in tongues, and they'll, they'll often quote this from Paul. They'll say, well, didn't Paul say, I'd rather speak five words in my understanding than 10,000 words in the Holy Spirit or with uh, tongues? And yes, he did say that. Paul said that. Paul said, I'd rather speak five words in my understanding than 10,000 words in tongues. But that's not the whole verse. Would you like to look at the whole verse? Let's look at it. It's in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 18 and 19. Here's the first. I love this right here. Paul starts this verse off that they use against tongues by saying, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all. You didn't know Paul was a southerner, did you? He said, I speak in tongues more than y'all. So he's not, he's not minimizing tongues. What he's saying, you got to remember, he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian church to correct some error they were having in their public worship. When they came to church, they were getting all out of order with the operation of the Spirit. So what he's saying is, he said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than y'all. So he wants them to understand right off the bat, I'm not opposed to speaking in tongues. I believe in it and I practice it. Yet in the church, he's talking about the church house, the service, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also. That's the reason than 10,000 words in a tongue. 
In other words, it's very simple. Paul says, you come to church, there's an unbeliever sitting there, he needs to know the way of salvation. I'd rather give him five words that he can understand than I would to speak 10,000 words that he don't understand. That's talking about in church. That's understandable. I would rather do that too because we want to understand. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Amen. But let's go on in 1 Corinthians. In fact, let's back up to the beginning of of 14. Paul said, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Let me stop right here because many people say, well, tongues is simply it's other languages. There are times when the Holy Spirit definitely speaks in other languages. I'll give you a modern-day example. One morning at the Mount Perrin Church of God in Atlanta, Georgia, great, great church. They have, oh, right at 10,000 members, I think. And uh, Dr. Walker was finishing up his message and getting ready to give, started into the invitation. And a little lady stood up in the back of the church, and he recognized her. He knew who she was. And he paused and stepped back. And she began to speak in tongues. She spoke in tongues for a few minutes. And then Dr. Walker asked if there was an interpretation. Nobody interpreted. So he went on with the invitation, and people came to the altar and got saved. There was a man who came. He waited around till after the service. And he came to Dr. Walker, and he said, Dr. Walker, I'm new in the Atlanta area. He said, I'm from Japan. He said, you can tell from my English that I'm not very, I'm not very good at, the, at, at English yet. I'm still working on it. He was struggling to talk to where Dr. Walker could understand it. But he said to him, I want to thank you, Dr. Walker. I felt like I needed to pray, but I didn't know how to pray. I want to thank you for allowing that little lady to take a moment out of the service to tell me how to give my heart to Jesus. And I came this morning and gave my heart to Jesus. Dr. Walker, and, 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 and the man said, I, I'd like to meet her because I don't know anybody else here that speaks Japanese. And he said, let me tell you something, sir. That little woman's probably never been out of Fulton County. She barely has a high school education. She don't know a word of Japanese. That was the gift of the Holy Spirit that was speaking through her. So sometimes the Holy Spirit does speak in a language. But there is also an unknown tongue. And that unknown tongue, and that's what Paul says here, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. That's why I was telling you what, you need that prayer language. You need to be able to present your case in prayer to God in a language that only God understands. It comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. If you'll learn to pray in the Holy Spirit, you'd be amazed at what God will reveal to you through the power of the Holy Spirit because he'll bring revelation to you. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. What do you do when you're praying in tongues? You're building yourself up. Read Jude verse 20. He said, building yourself. Building yourself on your spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Building yourself up on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. It's exactly the way it's worded. Praise God. You, you, you're edifying yourself when you're praying in tongues, an unknown tongue. Then he says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. What was Paul's desire for the church? I wish you all spoke with tongues. Can I tell you this morning, I wish everybody that comes to New Hope spoke with tongues. I wish everybody would get filled with the Spirit, just overflowing with the Spirit. Get, a, get your prayer language. Get, get so full of the Holy Ghost you can just pray in tongues and you can just worship in the Spirit. I wish everybody, that's what Paul would say if he was here this morning. I wish you all spoke with tongues. But even more that you prophesied, and I wish that too. 
for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues. Now, let me stop there because here again is where a lot of people that object to this, they'll say, yeah, but Paul said he that, speak, he that prophesies is greater than he that speaks in tongues. He did say that, but you're stopping before the sentence ends. Let me go back to it. He said, <laughs> he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues unless... In other words, there may be a time that he's not greater than he. Because, again, he's talking about in church here. Unless, indeed, he interprets that the church may receive edification. Again, he's talking about in church. He said, he that prophesies. In other words, he that speaks plainly so people can understand it, proclaim the truth of the gospel, is greater than he who stands and speaks in tongues. Unless, when he speaks in tongues, it's the gift of tongue operating so there can be an interpretation. So then it's not one, not one being greater than the other. All right, praise the Lord. I got I to gotta wrap this up here. My time is gone. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 14 and 15. Here's Paul's conclusion of the whole thing. What is the conclusion then? Here's what Paul said. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. See what Paul's saying? Let me give it to you like this. Paul said, I'll pray in tongues, and I'll pray in my native tongue. I'll pray both ways. Then he said, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding. You ever heard anybody sing in tongues? Isn't it beautiful? Praise God. He said, sometimes I just get to worshiping the Lord, and I just want to sing in tongues. I just, I just let the Holy Spirit just sing through me to the, to the Lord. But there's other times he said, I'll just sing in what I know. Bottom line, you need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have someone with you, in fact, inside of you, who will go right there with you into the courtroom of heaven when you present your case. And it doesn't matter what the accuser stands up there and brings against you, the Holy Spirit will know how to reveal to you what you need. I was reading recently a man that had been praying, fasting, seeking God for a wayward son for over two years. He said he just felt like the harder he tried, that the more he just kept running into a brick wall, he just couldn't seem to get his prayers through, and he couldn't, didn't understand how or why. And he saw this concept in the throne room of God. And he said, I went before God and I said, Holy Spirit, please help me today. He said, God, I want, I, I want you to call the court of heaven in session. And I want to know why I can't get through for my son. My son's destroying his life and he knows what's right. I raised him right. And I've been praying and begging you to bring him home. And, and he said, I've been praying in the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's revealed to me some things that has been hindering my prayers, and I've gotten all those out of the way. Everything that I know how to take care of, I've taken care of. If I've missed anything, I plead the blood of Jesus. Remember, they overcame him by what? Blood of the Lamb, word of their testimony, and they were sold out. They loved not their life to the death. In other words, they were going after this with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, he said, I, I have, I've done everything I, I know to do. And now I want, I want my case, I want my case judicated today for my son. And he said, the Holy Spirit began to pray through him. And he began to present his case before the courtroom of heaven. And he said, within hours, his son called him and said, Dad, I don't know what's going on. But he said, I've been so under conviction today, I can't stand it any longer. I want to know, can I come home? I want to get right with God, and I want to make things right with the family. He got a legal verdict in his behalf by knowing how to go before the court of heaven and use the advocate that he had at the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit that he had to be his lawyer and adjudicate his case and bring it to the Lord. I'm telling you again this morning, church, you need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. S 
Stand, stand with me, please. Stand with me, please. So I'll stop. Stand with me. Here, here's the thing. If you'll get filled with the Holy Spirit, if you'll submit yourself to God, and if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart, and when he reveals things to you that needs to be taken care of, if you'll take them to the cross and plead the blood of Jesus and line your testimony up to the Word of God, and let, get, it, get in line with it. Declare what heaven declares. If you'll do that, here, here's what you can do. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. We can come boldly through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can walk right into the courtroom and say, praise God, I'm home. Sort of reminds me, I heard, heard an old preacher one time, he, he said when Daniel came in, they called, the king called him in to read that handwriting on the wall. You remember that? Belshazzar, the hand, handwriting on the wall. Said, said oh, Daniel walked in, rubbed the, rubbed the you know, he'd been, been in prison for a long time, rubbed, rubbed his eyes, and he looked up there and said, praise God, a letter from home. Praise God. That was the handwriting of his father. I want to tell you this morning, folks, we can feel comfortable in the throne room of God. We can present our case through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will do whatever we need to do, reveal to us the mysteries, what's been hindering us, what's been holding us back, and bring us to the point where, we, where God will be justified to do what God desires to do, and that's to answer your prayers and to pour out His blessings on you. Give Him praise in the house this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. How many like to have the Holy Spirit, a filling or a refilling? Praise God. Well, if it's good enough to clap for, it's good enough to come to the altar for. So I want you to come. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, or maybe you say, I am filled with the Spirit. Well, read through the book of Acts. They were constantly getting refilled. Amen. That's the wonderful thing about God. He'll just pour it on and pour it on and pour it on and fill you and refill you and refill you. If you would like a filling of the Holy Spirit this morning, you say, fill me, Lord. I want to be able to walk into the courts of heaven and present my case through the power of the Holy Spirit and get a legal verdict in my behalf for the glory of God. I want you to come stand here and start praying. Just go ahead. You're, you're leading the prayer this morning. Just start praying. When you get to the altar, best thing you do is just raise your hand and praise the Lord. Just begin to praise Him and say, Lord, I praise you this morning for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I want a filling. I want to be filled. If you need to be filled with the Spirit, ask Him. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask for Him? Ask for Him this morning. Say, fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Refill me, Lord. Pour out your Spirit today. 